Uh, hello and welcome to the Good Growth Podcast. On this episode, my guests and I will be discussing how Heinz, one of the biggest fast-moving consumer goods brands, have been rapidly innovating their products and proposition to help them better understand and better serve their customers. Uh, so with that in mind, uh, I'm excited to introduce my guests today, the president of Northern Europe Craft Heinz, uh, Georgiana, better known as Jojo Dinarona. Welcome, Jojo. Thank you very much, Dan. That was a, a very uh, well-spelled last name. <laughs> oh, good. I'm glad I got that right. <laughs> the pronunciation is never, uh, never easy. Um, I understand as well, Jojo, you, um, I've seen that you've studied in the US and you, you speak a few different languages, is that right? Yeah, I went to university in the US. So I was born in Brazil, raised in Brazil until the age of like 17. And then I went to university in the US. But I actually, I, um, I went to a German school my whole life, which is something not a lot of people know. But um, I, yeah, I was educated in a German school, German education, German environment. So I do speak a bit of German. Obviously, Portuguese, English, because I went to university in the US. And uh, shortly after university, I moved to the UK. So. English has been my work language, I would say. Yeah, that's a good blend. Um, and uh, so in, in terms of your work with Craft Times, you've actually been working for the business for over six years now. Um, you're, you've been in your role as, uh, as president of Northern Europe for about 18 months or so. Uh, can you tell us a bit about the roles that you had leading up to uh, your most recent role? Because um, they've been quite people focused. Yeah, no, they have. Actually, I've, I've done a few different things. So. Maybe worth saying, I started my career in finance. So mm. when I got off of out of university, I went to I went to work in M and A advisory at Lehman Brothers. A lot of people remember. Maybe some you know younger don't don't remember Lehman Brothers, but Lehman Brothers is is a bank that once existed, the very prominent investment bank. I then moved on to do private equity, and I spent in total about nine years in finance. So I moved to then Kraft Heinz in twenty fifteen. And I did sales first. So I first worked in the sales organization and I actually covered the Tesco account, which is our largest customer in the UK. And then about a year, a year and a little bit into my role in sales, I was asked if I wanted to take a, a role as the head of talent for the European zone. And of course it came as a huge surprise to me as you would expect And You know, I came from finance then I was in sales. You know, I, I came to FMCG, totally total change in careers, but I don't think I expected to totally change functions, you know, that, that much. But I thought, you know what, they took a leap of faith in me when they hired me. I didn't have a background in FMCG, and I thought it was just um, fair to take a leap of faith on the people who took a leap of faith in me. So I decided to take the challenge. Uh, they obviously gave me several reasons, you know, my ability to recognize talent, coach people, etc. So I thought, you know, th those were good, good um, attributes and I thought I could maybe add value to that function, having come from kind of the business side. Spent about four years in that. And then, yeah, after four years, several different roles within people, I, I decided to, um, well, the company, and I decided that it was a, it was a good move to, to start a general management career. Uh, and you were discussing just before recording uh, that the, the timing of that uh, move into your current role, the, eight, the last 18 months, I imagine the uh, objectives and perhaps goals and ambitions you had then may have changed a bit now, given the, the circumstances of the world over the, over that period of time. Actually, that, that is, um, you know, when you when you do those um, interviews, <laughs> you get a lot of the same questions. I have to say, I, I haven't gotten this one, but on reflection, I don't think I had a different plan to the plan with put in place over the last 18 months. 
the plan was always to, we, we've been known very much internally and probably with our customers as well for, for being a company that has done very well on, on just general revenue management work, you know, price pack architecture. We, we built a very, very strong team behind that, uh, but not as good at innovating, especially within the Heinz brand in the last, well, let's say, five to six years. So the business really turned around profitability and top line, uh, you know, six years ago. But I think we we failed to to innovate um, to a level that you know would make the PNL sustainable long term. So that was always my aim was to balance our levers of growth between what we did in revenue management and innovation. So in the beginning, you know, we we set a strategic plan, five year strategic plan where we really set ourselves a challenge to innovate on the core, but also to start innovating on adjacencies to our core. So not just on the categories we play in, but adjacent categories. And of course, you know, the pandemic came, but to your question, we didn't necessarily change course. We just had to deal with the crisis whilst we were implementing our strategy. But I really saw an opportunity because when a business is doing well, and we did very well during, during the pandemic, because consumers obviously went back, and I'm sure we've all talked about that before, you know, they went back to trusted brands like, like our brand, we saw an even bigger opportunity to innovate. And I think what the pandemic did, it, it accelerated our plans much faster than I think what we expected at, at the start of our strategic plan, which was set, as I said, in the beginning of 2020. So I don't think it was there were any changes to the direction. I think there was an acceleration to, to the direction. And of course, when you're dealing with a crisis, the focus needs to be balanced between dealing with the crisis, serving our customers today, but also innovating and, and setting the, uh, implementing the strategy for the future. It's, it's interesting that you talk about um, that, that, that the pandemic has actually accelerated perhaps your uh, period of innovation, um, because you also say there that, the, and rightly so, that the pandemic is uh, consumers have sort of gone back to their trusted brands. So is, is, was there almost an argument to say, you know, let's stick to what we're good at here because customers are going to buy us? No, um, I think if I think if we had done that, I mean, if I interpret the question right, sticking to what we were doing was just simply selling what we've been selling for hundreds of years, which is, you know, soup in a can, beans in a can, our regular sauces range. I think what we decided was to stay true to what consumers were asking us to do. If I look at all of our of our brand equity drivers, the one brand equity driver that we've been lagging behind versus relative to the others is um, relevancy, bringing relevancy to consumers. So there's an equity driver on their hands, which is you know uh, in touch with what I want. And the way, of course, you know a, a, a non-marketer interprets that, and I don't have a marketing background, is you know, in touch with what I want is relevancy to consumers. Are the products we're, we're selling today relevant to what consumers want to consume? And I think what the pandemic did, it, it, it proved that our current core portfolio is still relevant, mm-hmm. but that we still continue, we needed to continue to make that core um, portfolio relevant so that we were relevant tomorrow and not just remain relevant during a crisis. So I think it didn't necessarily change um change what we were doing, I think we added on to what we were doing. And uh, when I talk about relevancy to our core, it's different to innovating on adjacencies or launching new NPD. It's really making what we currently make. So let's take, you know, beans, for example. A few years ago, we launched a NAS bean, so a non-added salt and sugar beans. This is relevancy to our core. So this is making our core business more relevant to consumers 
So taking out salt and sugar, which is obviously a trend that has been happening for, for many, many years now. What is the next NASBIN beans? This is, this is relevancy to the core in our view. And of course, in addition to that, as I said, there's also you know, launching the Heinz brand into adjacencies, which I think the crisis proved that the brand is still so loved that consumers allow us to go above and beyond where we currently play. Yeah, that's really important. That uh, and, like, and like you said, that's being in touch and in tune with what your customers uh, want, but also yeah, what they're open to seeing the Heinz brand do as well. You, you've talked of, uh, about sort of liberating the Heinz beans brand um, uh, and, and moving into new markets and uh, bringing Heinz out of the can, which um, is supported by a lot of what you've uh, said there. Can you, can you just sort of, I suppose, yeah, clarify a bit more about what you mean by that, but also um, were there any sort of, in your mind, any risks associated with going through this sort of period of innovation um, because of Heinz's history as being a, such a well-known and loved brand? Yeah, no, it's a, I mean, it's funny because this beans liberation stuff, it, <laughs> it started like all stories start. We were in a meeting room discussing our, our future plans, our strategic plans for the next five years. And somebody made a comment, you know, but why don't we just liberate this bean from the can? It's been stuck in there for hundreds of years. And all of a sudden, you know, the media started talking about, so it's a, it's a, it's a funny term, but one that I love. And it really drives what we're doing with, with Bean. So to answer your question, what does that actually mean? That really means what the sentence says, you know, taking the bean out of the can and putting the, the bean into new consumer propositions. So really leveraging the powerful superfood that, that bean is. And once I was even quoted by, I think, a nutritionist on, on an article around, you know, whether beans is a superfood or not. I mean, no food is a superfood because you need to always have a balanced diet. But beans has a lot of great nutritional elements. You know, it's, it's low in energy release. It's very high in fiber. It's very high in protein. So it's an incredible food that we should, you know, put at the center of our plate, especially if you want to be, you know, balancing your diet between, you know, animal source protein and plant protein. So with that in mind, you know, we've already been playing a great, you know, quotations, superfood for many years. Why not bring that superfood into other consumer propositions so more consumers in more occasions can enjoy the superpowers of the bean? So that was the idea behind liberating the bean. And, uh, and I think your question around the risks, there's always risk when you take a food that is a proposition that is so loved and it's really a comfort food for consumers in this country. You know, when you think of Heinz, you think of beans. When you think of beans, you think of comfort and you think of your childhood and you think of tea time. I think bringing the bean into new propositions and new occasions means, you know, taking it out of that, kind of comfort food association and into new associations. And I think there is a risk in that, which is, you know, consumers, you know, start getting confused as to what the bean really mean, what Heinz really means. But I believe it's it's a, such an opportunity, first and foremost, because if you don't try, you don't know what the opportunities are. And what we're doing here is we're trying. Not everything is going to work out. Not everything is going to be successful, but we need to try. We, we need to try to liberate the bean from the can and, and take it to, to new consumers uh and something else that you've tried and it has been hugely successful is the move into uh d2c or direct to consumer channels um last year uh, you teamed up with good growth um and and we helped uh launch heinz to home in the uk uh which was heinz's first sort of uh venture into d2c 
um, and you got it live within just three weeks in the midst uh, of a pandemic and uh, <laughs> just all the sort of logistical aspects of people working remotely at the time. Um, firstly, I suppose, how were you able to do that in such a large organisation like Kraft Heinz? That's, that's quite a move to do and one to stick to. Yeah, no, first of all, then thank you to Good Growth for the for the partnership there. I think it was um, hugely important in making it um, a successful launch. How are we able to do it? I mean, th- first is mindset. I think we do have our, our, our CEO, I, I may touch upon a, a quick story. Our current CEO, Miguel, when he started at Kraft Heinz, the first thing he did was to give everybody a book called um, The Growth Mindset by Carol Dweck which um, obviously in very, I mean, simple essence is, you know, look at the world with a set of possibilities. Don't, don't look at barriers. Don't look that things are not possible because you don't know them. Everybody can learn new skills. Everything is possible if you, you know, if you try. So I think that initiative from Miguel really started changing the mindsets of, of Kraft Heinz. And it opened, I think, many, many different avenues of possibilities for us. So first and foremost, I felt I had permission. And I think that's really important in a company of our size because I don't, I've, I haven't worked at big corporates before, but I, I hear stories of, you know, layers and layers of approval. We, we don't have this at Kraft Heinz. I think as long as, um, you know, you're, you're taking the right level of risk, we allow people to take those risks. So I felt that I had the permission. In turn, my team felt they had the permission. And in three weeks' time, you know, from ideation until inception, that was the time it took for us to launch into our, our D2C. Uh, it didn't cost us a lot of money, and it wasn't perfect. Because if we had perfected it, it would have taken us more time and more money. And we decided to go with the imperfect and hear from real consumers and start perfecting it over time. If you look at our deep sea today, it looks, it feels much nicer than we first when we first launched. Our service levels are much better. Our offerings are much better. We're continuing to improve with time. And I think um, this is, you know, the beauty of having this growth mindset within a business is that we're not trying to be perfect. We're just trying new things and accepting that they may be imperfect at, at the start and then we perfect it over time. Yeah, and I guess what you get from that approach, that sort of quick decision-making, get something live and perfect it over time, is a Heinz-to-home journey that is actually shaped by your customers because you're you're learning from your customers what they like, what they don't like, um, how do they respond to different things on the site and building the site around them and their behaviour rather than what uh, people in Kraft Heinz necessarily think. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I always like to say, you know, consumers nowadays... um, they, they want brands with personalities. Everybody talks about it. But when, what I say to my team is that no personality is perfect. So let's not try to be perfect because Heinz isn't perfect. I mean, we, we've failed. We've succeeded. We've, we're going to try, continue to try new things. And some of them, as I said, will succeed and some won't. won't. And I think this idea of coming out still imperfect at times um, showcases our personality and and you talked about you know what what are the risks you see i mean then i think unless we're doing the wrong thing um you know integrity wise nothing is a is a bad try and i think the more we try the more we're going to showcase that we are a brand with real people behind it and we do have a very genuine personality so yeah no absolutely um Heinz 
has launched in other markets. Einstein Homes launched in other markets beyond the UK. Um, what ambitions do you have then to expand that D2C proposition? Uh, both at least geographically and perhaps from a product perspective as well. Yeah, no, great question. So I don't cover the other geographies where Heinz Home is now present, but I obviously you know know well because they they contacted us to 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 copy with pride. So we now have Heinz to Home in New Zealand. We've got Heinz to Home in Australia. We've got Heinz to Home in Ireland as well, which is a market I cover. So incredibly proud for all the markets that are trying you know the the D two C model. For us, so there are many other plans geographically to expand it to see across Kraft Heinz. I think there are even talks around maybe the US doing it, um, other brands doing it as well within um, within Heinz. Of course, we have Heinz to home, but there are many other brands within the Kraft Heinz portfolio that we're thinking of a, of a D2C format uh, or model. In terms of our expansion ambition, uh, we've got a couple of, of things and it all you know falls into the three pillars of what Heinz to home um, is going to serve or how, how Heinz to Home will serve our business. First is, is really building a stronger data backbone and linking our D2C uh, consumer knowledge to all of our digital activations, you know, within and out of, of the D2C um, site. So we've already started that journey and it's, it's helping us um, a lot on how we communicate with consumers within the, the digital network, social media, of course. The second is, you know, the test and learn model. So really making sure that we're leveraging the site to test and learn new innovation. And of course, um, the audience won't be able to see it because they're only listening to us. But just behind me, you've got our uh, EcoSleeve multipack, which we're incredibly proud. We're launching it uh, as of next uh, month. And this is a very good example of how we tested and learned from consumers what they wanted out of our EcoSleeve, what they liked, what they didn't like, so that we could improve, perfect it, so that we could launch it you know, closer to what consumers wanted. And we wanna to continue to do that. In fact, we wanna do more of it. And then the last, which I think is a, is a real, is potentially a real driver of traffic for us, for us in the future. And I would invite any other brands who are listening to us to, to come to us and, and pitch their, their propositions. One is personalization. So continue to personalize the bundles that we sell so that consumers go to the site and they feel that we're offering what they really want and a differentiation between you know, the site and, and what they can see in, in physical stores and in, in other online e-commerces. And personalization also means, you know, being able to personalize your bottles, personalize your, your cans, which is something we've been offering from the start, but we want to expand into other parts of the portfolio. And the last is why I invited the brands is, is, is really partnership with other brands and making sure that we offer bundles that can fit into, you know, perfect consumer occasions. So let's say you want to, you know, do a barbecue. Why not partner with other brands that can, you know, provide um, consumers with, you know, other elements of what their barbecue would um, be composed of. So we offer the sauces, you know, what are the other brands that are out there can, can offer and partner with uh, us with, to, uh, with us uh, on the Heinz to Home. So I think um, these are the three things we're doing to, to expand our site. We're very excited about the growth opportunities. It can be, you know, um, times and times bigger than what it is today. Yeah, huge opportunities there. Um, talking about Kraft Heinz then as a, as a corporation, um, Craft Heinz are involved in a number of different projects across sort of different issues. Um, we're in Pride Month at the moment. Craft Heinz as a as a project for, uh, around Pride. Craft Heinz is also around its sort of environmental footprint, sustainability. Can you just tell us a bit more about some of the projects Craft Heinz does and describe a bit more about what actually they entail? You know, there's action behind these projects, so well as just sort of you know 
saying, oh, this is what we do. There's a, there's a lot of action behind them. Yeah, no, very much. Actually, maybe I'll touch upon one that I'm incredibly excited just because we literally, um, before I came to talk to you, we, we announced it to all of our employees, which is our, our parental policy. So I'm incredibly passionate about, um, you know, diversity. I, I told the team a, a little story around, you know, my journey throughout um, DNI and B, diversity, inclusion and belonging. I started obviously my career in, in finance. And you know, when I started my career in finance, I, I thought, you know, I, I was quite special to be a woman in a world where, you know, women were incredibly underrepresented, even relative to, to other industries. So of course, women are still underrepresented in, in any corporate environment, but especially in the finance world, it is, um, you know, starker than in, in other industries. And I remember joining, you know, quite at a young age, feeling like I was very special. You know, I was the only woman in the room uh, the vast majority of the times. And, um, and it's good to feel special. I think nobody doesn't like to feel special. But fast forward to now, and I, I actually no longer feel special because feeling special doesn't necessarily um, make a change. You know, I'm, I'm not going to make a change if I feel special. I, I actually just feel lonely whenever I'm in a room and I'm the only woman in the room. So, you know, thinking about that, we've set ourselves targets to get to parity um, by 2025, uh, which I think um, setting targets is something I'm incredibly passionate about because it drives action. Uh, there's a lot of talk and there has been a lot of talk around gender equality for many, many years. But if you look at the stats, you know, the stats haven't moved. And I think the reason they haven't moved is because we haven't set targets. You know, we set targets to deliver financial results. Why not set targets to, you know, equalize, you know, gender? So uh, the one thing we announced today, which makes me proud, and some people don't associate the, the impact it can have on gender equality, but it's secondary care policy. So we talk a lot about primary cares. So in general, mothers, but primary cares is, is the gender neutral way of saying it. And um, we offer six months paid leave at Kraft Heinz, but secondary care was really a gap. We only offered, uh, first we offered zero, then we offered three weeks back in 2018. And today we actually announced that we're gonna be offering 12 weeks. So three months paid leave to secondary carers. And the reason that plays a role is, you know, if you've got primary and secondary carers taking leave, you know, you allow for both, you know, men and women um, to have more of an equal career uh, and equal career progression. We know that maternity leave can a lot of times, you know, they, they can regress uh, a female's career. And I think by allowing both female and male to have almost an equal you know, amount of time, which is our dream in the future, but now is, is you know, three months, which is a huge progress. I think we're going to progress in, a, in, a, in that direction of equalizing you know, gender career progression. Uh, this ties into really your responsibility as a leader. Um, it, it's fair to say, I think, because of the, the times we've been living in, people have looked to leaders more than ever um, and perhaps the responsibility of a leader has never been and the actions of a leader has never been more important. Um, can you give us a bit more of a flavour of how you like to lead and the sort of responsibilities you feel you have to make sure that voices are heard? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I remember well a, um, a piece of advice that I got when I started this role because if you look at my career, especially at Kraft Heinz, I've been put in new challenges very, very often. And... The consequence of that is that you always feel quite unprepared. Uh, I was never put in a role that I quite knew what I was doing and mm. I had a background in doing it. 
So that was a very common feeling every time I got the announcement, Jojo, you're going to be promoted to X, Y, Z. And that was even an instance being very, very open to, to the audience that I cried. And I said to my boss, I don't want to be promoted. And he said, but why? I said, because I feel unprepared and I haven't closed the cycle in my previous role. So I think um, the one th advice I got when I started this, this new role was make your journey public. And I think that was a great advice because what I do now is, is I share my vulnerabilities a lot more. I share when I don't know, and I very often don't know. I mean, I, I know a lot less than my team, the major vast majority of all the time, I would say, not the vast majority <laughs> of the time. And I think making yourself vulnerable and, and letting your team know that you don't know allows them to take risks, which is actually the topic we started this conversation with. So I um, I like to lead that way. I am imperfect like every other human. I don't know what I'm doing at all times. Um, I think I've got good instincts and, and good common sense. And I love seeing people progress and coaching people. But other than that, when it comes to the capabilities within the industry, I am learning and I'm still learning 18 months on and I'll still be learning five years on. So I think that would be the first point is really, you know, making your, your journey public uh, at all times, even when you're experienced, I think allows your people to take risks, which I think is very powerful for any organization. Um, and the other is, is the growth mindset, uh, which I look at it as every day is a learning opportunity. I have times within my calendar, everybody in the organization knows this, where I call them thinking time or learning time. So I try to every single week have a chunk of time and it's actually coming up after our chat today, my chunk of time this week, where I just do more deeper work. And sometimes it's not even work related to the work I'm doing at work. It's just reading and, you know, having reflection moments because we should never stop learning. And, you know, it's, it's sad by a lot of people, but the problem is life goes on. You've got, you know, busy schedules and then you don't make time for learning. And if you don't make time for learning, like you make time for working, you're not going to learn. So I really believe in, you know, getting our schedules and our outlooks, you know, <laughs> uh, to help us make time for learning. And, and, um, and that's how I also like to, to lead is to uh, exemplify the, the, the learning journey. Yeah, that's some really good points. So that openness, firstly, is refreshing. And I think employees appreciate and see that. Um, and again, it just sort of <laughs> it humanizes leaders as well, because sometimes, again, it, it it's quite easy to hide i think um and the second point there around yeah the sort of learning opportunity it's i guess again once you're you're so in the day-to-day -day, if you don't have that time to sort of pull yourself out of the day-to-day -day and reflect and and take on new things then you inevitably start to regress right absolutely yeah absolutely um new things are happening every day so if you if you don't take time for learning, you're not gonna you're not gonna continue to to progress. But I think equally, reflection time is important as well. It's not no surprise that a lot of people say my best ideas come when I'm taking a shower. <laughs> I mean, no no kidding, because you're not staring at a screen and trying to respond to your emails frantically. So I think um, why don't we make those you know shower times uh, more normal? You know, like why why don't we just normalize thinking time and reflection time? Um, there's this tendency to think that if you're not in a meeting or you're not responding to an email that you're not working, but if you don't allow yourself time to stop and reflect and not respond to an email and not talk and not pay attention to whatever is being presented to you, I think it's very difficult to come up with new ideas. 
Jojo, it's been uh, brilliant talking to you, getting to know more about uh, Heinz and the sort of projects you've got coming up, but also a bit about you as well and, uh, and in, your, in your leadership role. Um, thank you so much for your time. Uh, and uh, yeah, real pleasure talking to you. Thank you very much, Dan. Pleasure talking to you too. Thank you.